0: Morning, church. Great to see you. Welcome to Union Chapel. This is the day the Lord has made. We're rejoicing and glad in it. So glad that you're here. If you're joining us online today, I know many of you are. Thank you for being with us. We're happy to have you. And we're very excited about today. Hope you're doing okay. And I want to talk about heaven today. That's a good subject, isn't it? And I've chosen as our text from the last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm going to read for us the first eight verses of that chapter. And today's a, really not a proper sermon. I, it's, I want to teach you some things from the Scripture about heaven. Lots of people speculate about heaven and what it might be like and what we can expect. But there are some things that the Bible has to say about heaven that are very explicit And I want to lay a foundation so that it might encourage and inspire you today to think about. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, our custom is to stand to hear God's Word. Thanks for doing that. Revelation 21 and beginning at verse 1. This is John, the apostle, and he is doing the best he can to try to explain to us what he's seen in this revelation. And he said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. May God inspire and instruct us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. One of the most iconic movies that's ever been produced Uh, The version of it I'm referring to, of course, is the original 1939 version. All of us have seen this movie. It's that classic entitled The Wizard of Oz. And, of course, we know Dorothy is this main character, and through all of her adventures in this uh, amazing story of fantasy, she comes to the end of the movie, and she's standing there dreaming of home. And she's clicking her heels together, and she says... There's no place like home. Say it one more time. Again. And instantly she 's back home. Home is where you belong. Home is where you fit. Home is where the people you love and cherish are found. Home has your taste. it suits you. It's right and good. It's, there's something deeply settling about home deeply peaceful about home something wonderful about home you know the old hymn writer said it this way he said the world is not my home I'm only passing through interesting perspective the Bible actually teaches that God has prepared a place for us that is a home in a place called heaven if you look up heaven if you just ask Amazon to give you some references to heaven at any given time, there will be, give or take, 50 references, books, and other articles being written on the subject of heaven. It's fascinating to people. People like to think about it, speculate about it. We hear some folks who, who claim to have had near-death experiences, who have seen heaven, uh, revelations of heaven. The Apostle Paul himself wrote in the New Testament that he had some kind of experience. He said, whether I was in my body or out of my body, I couldn't tell but I have seen things and heard things that I can't even describe. And so people have had these kinds of experiences, and maybe they're, they're legitimate ones. And so the Bible teaches that God has prepared a place. It is a place where we will fit. It's a place where we are suited. It's a place where we will be settled and with this abundance of peace and wonderment, a place called heaven. Questions are raised. Will heaven be an actual place? Or just merely a state of mind? Fair question. What will we look like in heaven if we die at nine years old? Or if we die at 90 years old, what will our physical appearance in terms of our age be like in heaven? St. Thomas Aquinas speculated that we would all be 33 years old in heaven, just like Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it? I wonder if anyone in the room is 33, actually 33 years old right now. Anyone? Could I get you to raise your hand if you're 33? Anyway, is, am I missing one? Someone, someone back there. There's one, 33 years old. Congratulations, sir. <laughs> 33. You know, Jesus had changed the world by the time he was 33. wonder how you're doing. <laughs> I don't want someone getting smug just because they're 33 years old. 33 was a rough year for me because I thought about that the whole time. See, Jesus had turned the world upside down by 33. What have I done? (laughs) I was a little lacking. So we wonder, what age will we be? Uh, Will it be boring? That's a good question. I mean, what are you going to do for all eternity? It's like a long time. How do you sort that? Uh, Will there be animals in heaven? This is a frequently asked question because lots of people are so in, find endearing their, their pets, their dogs, their cats, and others. Uh, will my animals be in heaven? It's a good question. Uh, where will you live? Are you going to be in a big mansion somewhere or maybe just a small apartment, maybe a condo, a hut? <laughs> we don't know for sure. And who gets to go to heaven? And why do they get to go? These are all important questions, good questions to ask. Heaven has been mischaracterized, I think, over time. The idea that you'll be floating around like angels, you know, in some cloud, you know, playing a harp with some kind of funny look on your face. I don't, I don't think that's it. Um, maybe the idea of just hanging out, sitting back, sipping iced tea, you know, resting in peace, you know, that's another idea, another concept it's probably not right. Maybe it's just one elongated Never-ending worship service. Please, God. No. No, that can't be it. Please. (laughs) That may be your heaven. That would be my... (laughs) But God has prepared a home for us, a place for us. God God has also made us, created us with original design and intent... To thrive, to flourish. So, what we find in the first two chapters of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we find the early creation narrative. And we see all of the created order in place and human beings placed on the planet. There is no sin. It's perfect. It's Eden. There are trees. There are fruit. There's running water. There's animals. There's beauty. It's a place where human beings fit best. It's home. It's like the earth. And so from Genesis 1 and 2, we, we get this perfection picture. But after Genesis 3, when sin enters the world, now we have a different picture. The perfect earth now becomes a fallen earth. Not only do human beings sin and suffer the consequences of sin, which is death, the wages of sin is death, human beings now suffer destruction and dysfunction and, and, and death, and because of sin, and not only do human beings suffer in that way, but the whole created order suffers as well. So the creation was impacted with the whole range of natural disasters tsunamis, earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, floods are all the result of sin literally having an impact not only on human beings, but on the created order as well. The Bible says that all of creation now groans, hoping for restoration that's fascinating, isn't it? That the earth itself is looking forward to its own redemption. Christ has come to restore humanity to its original design. That's the good news of the gospel, right? Relationship with God has been overcome uh, uh, by the elimination of sin and death. And so Christ's life, death, and resurrection now provides for us a means by which we can be restored to God. And so those who die with the assurance of their sins forgiven go directly to heaven, the abode of God. That's the promise of the scripture. So the notion of floating around or loafing around in some disembodied spirit is not the concept that we find in scripture. There will be a future earth. Now, what will heaven be like on this new earth? And the Scripture teaches us some things about this, and I want to rehearse a few of those with you this morning. So, again, this is more of a teaching. I want you to get some foundation for what the future might look like for us. Now, here's the first thing. It's on your outline if you have your app handy there. It will be a lot like the new me. What will the new earth be like? It will be a lot like the new me. Here's what I mean. As man was in the Garden of Eden, so was the earth. So man was in this garden. It was perfect. Everything was perfect pristine, and so was the earth. So as man was in the garden, so the earth was. As man fell, fell into sin, so did the earth fall into corruption. I've just, I've been rehearsing that a bit. And as that is true, as man fell because of sin and died because of sin, so was the earth corrupted, so too as man will be in the redemption plan of God, so will the earth experience that restoration. So what does a, an eternal heavenly new earth look like? It looks a lot like we will look. Here's how the apostle Paul explained it. First Corinthians 15. He reminds us that we who are all kin to Adam, we're all descendants of Adam, Adam and Eve, we're all descendants from those two And so he was the first Adam, but Paul said there's a second Adam, uses the analogy of the second Adam to identify Jesus when he came into the world. So Paul reminds us that as the first Adam failed and sinned and caused destruction to humanity and also to the world, so to the second Adam, Jesus Christ has come to restore all things. And so we know that Jesus today, who's described as the firstborn of the resurrection, when Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, he took his body. He didn't show up spiritually. He showed up in his body. Now, it was changed. It was transformed. It was glorified. It was spiritualized. It was immortal. And as Jesus is, as the firstborn of the resurrection, so too will our bodies one day be. The same body that Jesus has right now is the body that we will inherit, the resurrection. Now, that's really, that's really good news so remember, post resurrection, Jesus is walking around, he's talking, he's conversing, he's, he's eating, he's having normal conversation. There, there, there is life in a body that Jesus experiences that we observe over the course of several days in front of hundreds of people after the resurrection. So we know that that's coming to us. And, and, and so, as we will be, so will this new place that we live, we'll be perfected, spiritualized, immortalized, made pristine again, and that's all good news, not only for who we are in our bodies at that time, but where we live in this new earth. Isaiah 65 reports to us, now this was words that Isaiah wrote 700 years before Jesus was even on the earth, and he said, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth, the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. So in other words, a day is coming when God will once again place us in a perfect environment. Now let's look at our text today and learn from the scripture. 2 Peter chapter 3, this is Peter responding to members of the early church. Here's what we know about the first century church. These followers of Jesus in the first century all believed, as you read the New Testament, you will find very... Easily and clearly, that the people alive in the first century following Jesus believed in the imminent return of Christ. They said, "Lord, come quickly." You know, a phrase they would use is "Maranatha," which is in their language and uh, in, translated into the phrase, "Come, Lord, come quickly, come now." You're, please, Jesus, come back, Maranatha. So, so they had this sense that Jesus was going to come back, and he was he could come back any time. And they were anticipating his coming. In the meantime, persecution began to grow. And Christians were being harmed and actually put to death and martyred. And so it was becoming very, very precarious to be a follower of Jesus in the first century world. And and suffering persecution as a result. And so so folks began to push back toward the apostles saying, when is Jesus coming? He promised he's coming back. And if he doesn't come back soon, we're all going to be killed. This is getting very treacherous. And so Peter writes to the church in this regard. This is what we find in 2 Peter 3. And he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. So in other words, you may think that God has forgotten about us and that he promised to return, but he forgot. But no, the Lord's not slow in keeping his promise. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now now let that soak in for a moment. Try, try to put it in the context. God takes no pleasure in the judgment of wickedness, none whatsoever. God wants every single person on earth to live with him in eternity in heaven. God wants every single one of us in this room today to live with him in heaven for eternity. God wants everyone listening within the sound of my voice today, wherever you may be, to live with him in eternity. Then he continues, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now here's a prophetic signal, a sign, a warning. God is is patient. Because not everyone's had a chance yet. Beth and I were driving to church this morning. And we got to a certain intersection and we noticed a man on a bicycle, a too small bicycle. And he's pedaling very quickly on this too small bike. And we get to the intersection and he goes right past us. And we observe him. And he is a man in his late 20s or early 30s. And he is addicted to methamphetamines. He has all the physical characteristics. He's got a little shoulder pack on one shoulder and a little bag hanging off the handlebar on the other. And he's riding this too small bicycle, and he's pedaling a thousand miles an hour because he's probably all tweaked out this morning. And he's just going, and he's frail, and he's emaciated, and he's dying. We rode right by him on our way to church. I said, "Lord Jesus." help that man He's dying We drove a little bit further. I thought maybe he'll be one of the men that lives in our halfway house when we get it open pretty soon. Then I thought, I bet I bet that guy's one of Jesus's favorites. Because Jesus knew that guy when he was just a little boy how precious he was, how much potential he had. Now he's in bondage. And he's going as fast as he can to nowhere. So Jesus says be patient be patient. Not everyone's had a chance yet. I don't, I don't want to pass judgment on anyone. I don't, I don't want anyone to perish. Be patient. You know, and Christians like us sit around and say, you know, come Lord, world's looking pretty messy. It's getting pretty bad. Seems like worse and worse. What's becoming of us? Come anytime, Lord. And Jesus says, Just wait. Just be patient. Be patient. Because I don't want anyone to perish. I want everyone to get a chance. And then he says, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to be people who live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this, his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And so the promise is there, and God's not slow about the promise. He's just patient so that none would unnecessarily perish. But these days have been prophesied, and we have a clear picture of them. So how we define eternity in heaven one way is that it'll The new earth will be a lot like the new us when we experience it there. Here's the second thing I want to say. It'll be a lot like the first earth. Are you tracking with me a little? Remember, the first earth has beauty, it has fruit, it has water, animals, harmony, peace. There's no debt, there's no curse, there's no shame, no sorrow, no pain. There was meaningful work to accomplish. You'll recall that God instructed Adam and Eve to prepare, to create, to think, to explore, to manage, to produce There was intimacy with God and intimacy with each other. This this was the first earth. God's first creation of environment was a place where people could thrive, where people were flourishing. It was an actual place in the presence of God with work to do and capabilities and, and with beauty and perfect relationships. So the new earth will be a lot like the original earth, only different and infinitely better, That's why Jesus said when when he was asked, this is recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 14, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me, he said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you unto myself so that where I am, you can be also. You know the way and the place where I'm going. That's when Thomas spoke up said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And that's when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. That's helpful insight, isn't it? Thomas said, we want to, we want to know the way, but we don't know where you're going, so how do we know the way? And Jesus reminded him, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus also said, in the world you have tribulation. Any pushback back to that statement. In the world you'll have tribulation. Are you okay with that? Everybody in the world agrees with the Bible at that phrase. In the world you will have tribulation. But he said, be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. Praise God. So what will the new heaven and the new earth look like? It'll look a lot like the original earth. A lot like that only infinitely better. Now, let me just add this third point. There are only three points in the sermon. Here's the three, third point. It will be infinitely better because of some new things. Let me explain. For example, you'll have a new kind of relationship with God. Now, listen to your pastor. Look at the screen in our text from Revelation 21, these first few verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So, in other words, you will see God face to face. And when you see him, you will be changed more and more into his image. That's not a new concept. That happens all the time to all of us. The people we tend to hang out with are the people we tend to become like. And when we're in heaven in eternity, when we're hanging out with God, we'll become more and more like him. Uh, Theologians call this the beatific vision. It's a fancy term for hang out with Jesus, you become more like Jesus. And so there will be no more days of wondering about God's will for your life. No more confusion about God's directions for your life. No more garbled notes from God. This has been my complaint forever. God God rather will bring clarity and direction, clarity of purpose, clarity of function to all of us. There will be no more relational distance between people and no more spatial distance between us and God. None of that. We will be his people and he will be our God you will have a new kind of relationship, a new kind of connection with God. It will be intimate in every conceivable way. And that will make the new heaven and the new earth infinitely better than what we have right now. Here's another example. You will have a new kind of relationship with your past. Now, listen to your pastor. Let me, let me encourage you today, perhaps inspire you. All of the consequences of sin and evil in your life and for all mankind will be removed now think about that not just covered over removed you know if you cover over sin you know it might pop through somewhere but instead it's washed away though red like crimson like snow removed the spot the stain removed completely gone Revelation 21, four and five, look at the the verses. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new, everything new. What's included in everything? New. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. So think about this, no abuse, no control, no terrorism, no regrets, no betrayal, no divorce, no failure, no disappointments. Never again will you experience the painful emotion of rejection, not ever again. No more greed, no more murder. Can you imagine no more addictions, no more people-pleasing, no more workaholism, no more food addictions, sex addictions, chemical addictions, no more. No more accidents, no more pressure, no more prejudice, no more racism, no more poverty, no more injustice. No one will ever be neglected again. No more death, no more temptation, no more fear, no more shame. How many of you want to go to heaven? I want to go. Let's all go. Let's all go there. Don't you want to go? Man, how great is it going to be? Everything made new, a total different kind of relationship with your past. You'll have a new kind of relationship with God, infinitely better because you'll have a new relationship with the sins of your past, all of them washed away. Think about that. Here's another example. You'll have a new kind of satisfaction. Now I'm preaching to myself. Revelation 21, verse 6, he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the springs of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Apparently, friends, it's possible to die once physically. It's possible to die a second time eternally. Now everybody gets thirsty. We all need water to survive. We know that. But there's also a thirst of the soul. All of us understand it. People thirst for significance. People thirst for security. They thirst for love and acceptance and fulfillment. Everyone does. All of these thirsts are normal. They're God-given, God-induced thirsts. But we live in this world that says, wait a minute, wait a minute, unless you, unless you hold up to a certain standard, this much education, this much income, live in this kind of house, have these kinds of social connections, this kind of body type. The list goes on and on and on. Unless you have these sorts of things, then you can't possibly be happy and fulfilled. Here's what the insightful author C.S. Lewis reminded us of. He said, when fame and celebrity and money and success and looks and our gifts in art or music or athletics are all employed and achievement is realized, and when we get to the goal or to the top of the pile we all have this strange experience. And he said, it is the feeling that something is missing. Has this ever happened to you? I mean, you got there, you achieved your goal, you got to the place you wanted to go, and you realized, "Ah, it's gotta be something else. There's gotta be something more. There's got to be some place more. No one, as it turns out, in this room or has ever experienced complete satisfaction. God promises that your thirst will be quenched. That every desire, every longing, everything that has been meaningful and valuable and important to you, God says that it will be completed in you. You will be completely. Satisfied and fulfilled <laughs> buying a new car, getting in a special relationship, reaching a certain market share in your business, having a baby, what happens right afterwards? It's a great buzz for a while. And then the thoughts: there must be something more. There must be some place more. No one in this room has ever experienced complete satisfaction. Then John reminds us that there will be those who reject this offer of satisfaction. And will not be allowed into this special place called heaven. Maybe we ought to talk about that sometime as well. So you'll have a new kind of satisfaction. Here's another example. There will be a new city and people to enjoy it. Look at verses 9 through 23. Uh, We didn't read those today, but you can go back and read that entire section from Revelation 21. And it implies that there will be a city to enjoy that is brilliant, glorious, beautiful, beautiful. All of God's people are going to be there, representatives from the 12 tribes of Israel, the apostles are going to be there, all of the redeemed, all of the saints from the Old Testament, all of the saints from the New Testament, all of us are going to be there. And there's going to be a city, and it's described as a huge place, approximately 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, and 1,500 miles high. It's it's a cube of 1,500 miles and it's a city. And cities are amazing, of course. They have life and culture and interest and people and food and music. And I already know that food is going to be my favorite part of heaven. And people will people say, where's Paris? And you just point to the smorgasbord, wherever that is. And that's where I'll be. And I'll start at the dessert table and work my way back the opposite direction. I know it's going to be my favorite spot. Let me just think about that for a second. so good. You think about the size and diversity and the architecture and the interests of places like Paris or London or New York or Hong Kong or Chicago, and these are tiny little places compared to the holy city, the new Jerusalem. This is a city with three huge gates, always open, guarded by powerful angels. And you, and you look, this, this is John's best attempt to describe it, as I mentioned earlier, and I'm fascinated by it. I'm amazed by it. I'm fascinated by the whole concept of, of quantum physics and dimensional physics, uh, you know, time travel, all dimensional time travel. Um, my brain can go just so far. I have a very elementary understanding of, of these things. Some of you are studying this in school now or have studied or maybe even teaching this stuff. Even if you teach it, your brain can only get so far because it's so complex and so so dimensional, dimensionally complex. It's... But all of that to say that I think that heaven is, is actually close. You've heard me talk about this. I think heaven is just beyond where I can reach. Heaven is really close. It's just dimensionally different. It's in a different dimension. Than, than the, the spiritual world is a different dimension than the physical world. And sometimes the spiritual dimension intersects with the physical world. That's, this is called being filled with the Holy Spirit. As it turns out, the Spirit can penetrate our flesh. And the promise is that the Holy Spirit actually lives in us. The other side cannot be accommodated. Flesh cannot penetrate spirit. So heaven, the spiritual world, is just beyond where I can reach. It's why, it's why people will say, you know, my mother who passed 10 years ago, you know, I was in this moment and I just felt my mother was very close to me. I don't know what it... It was weird. I'm just not sure what it means. I just felt like my mother was close to me. It's because she's close to you. Paul said, when when you die, you're absent from the body and present with the Lord. I think that's a short trip. Just from here to there, very quickly. It's a very short trip. If we knew how close we are to the glories of heaven and the wonderful blessings of God, we would spend more of our lives trying to tap into it as much as we can. Heaven is a wonderful place. And this city, it's a completely new paradigm. There's no sun or moon for light. The Bible says that God's presence will illuminate the place. There's no temple for worship. God will be ever-present, and worship will be part of our moment-by-moment experience. I have, this, I have this speculation, I have this theory that you have to be careful what you say in heaven. By that I mean if you're walking down the street and you just go, you see someone and you say, hey, praise God, good to see you. And you just say, praise God, I think it will ignite praise. <laughs> everybody, everybody, the person closest to you, they go, yeah, praise God. Glory to God. And the next person will go, wonderful. He's the, he is a great God. He's a, ma, he's a magnificent God. Glory to God. Praise his name. And glory to the lamb. And it'll, just, it'll, it'll be like the wave. <laughs> and it'll just go across the city. You just got to be careful. Oh, I started that. <laughs> you laugh, you watch. I got, I got a hunch. So this actual, physical, literal, tangible place that Jesus has prepared for all who love him is going to give you a new relationship with God, a new relationship with your past and satisfaction that is complete and a new city to enjoy. And here's one more thing. There will be a new earth with new nations. This may be a new concept for you, but it's right in the text. It begins in Revelation 21 verse 24 and following into 22. It says, and you can see it on the screen, there will be commerce and culture and capabilities. Ma'am, whatever you do in the course of your life, make your first priority, assuring that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. Are you listening to your pastor? You say, I don't believe that stuff. It doesn't matter what you believe. Well, I don't believe in heaven. Fine. It doesn't change it. If someday we're preaching on hell, you say, I, I don't have to worry about that. I don't believe in hell. It doesn't change the reality of hell. You believe whatever you want. It doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change reality. What is the role of the pastor, the leader? The first and most important role of the leader is to define reality. I'm telling you, heaven is a real place, and real people go there. And you want to go. And the way you get in is by making sure your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. This weekend, I am celebrating my 50th anniversary as a Christian. 50 years ago this weekend, I had my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life because I recognized my need beyond myself to save myself. I recognized myself as a sinful person separated from God by that sin and was made aware that God, glory to God, has made provision for me through the sacrifice of his son. I just started something there. It's going through heaven now, just like the wave. You're, you think I'm crazy. You wait. Wait. You watch. I can't believe you were right about that, Pastor. (laughs) And I said yes to this offering of forgiveness and peace restored with God. I took that step of faith and recognized my need and that God had satisfied the demands of that need. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God. And from the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. That's where the amen goes in this sermon. I mean, glory to God. Wonderful. Amazing. See, there are kings in the eternal kingdom, authorities. There'll be the arts and music and culture and commerce and manufacturing. And we need to learn this as soon as possible. Authentic worship, And the here and now is being a living sacrifice for Jesus Christ in every moment, in every dimension of our lives. If eternal, if the eternal kingdom has about it all of the activities that we're engaged in here and now, then we should be practicing our lives as a style of ultimate worship and expression of devotion to God. So when you're doing your business, you are worshiping God. And when you're studying as a student, you're doing it as a servant of God. When you're you're performing the arts and expressing your artistic giftedness, and you're performing as an athlete. You do this for the glory of God because it's something that you're not only doing here and now, but you'll be doing forever. It's a wonderful thing. It's an amazing thing. And so that's what's expected today. When your neighbor knows by your love and good deeds that you're a Christian, when your boss sees you going the second mile, When your teacher or coach observes you giving a maximum effort, when your moral and relational life matches your testimony for Jesus, that's a life of worship and devotion to God. And that's where another amen goes. Folks need to wake up. (laughs) Jesus said, I'm going to make all things new. Glory to God. The Apostle Paul summed it up this way. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. I just refer to the great theologian Buzz Lightyear. It's to infinity and beyond. When I I was a new Christian, we would sing a little chorus, go like this, heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I'm going to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. And then we'd all shout, I want to go there. I want to go there. I hope you do too. So we've learned some things today about the new heaven and the new earth. These are foundation points that the scripture makes clear to us. And these represent the hope of eternal life that all of us have been given as those who place our faith in Christ. So i want to ask you today, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Are you ready? Are you at peace with God? You can know that your name is written there before you leave this room today. You can know. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's just pray and think about these things for a moment. Let me ask you again, do you know for certain that you're going to heaven? Now that you've heard a brief description of heaven, wouldn't you like to go? Wouldn't it change your perspective on all the lesser things of this life? I mean, the things that so easily beset us? Wouldn't it be easier just to lay those aside with the right perspective about what's coming? The Bible says that these things have been written in order that you might know you have eternal life. He who has the Son has life, he who has not the Son of God has not the life. Let me ask you this question Do your current priorities and passions reveal an eternal or temporal perspective? Have you considered the implications carefully of your life? Maybe it's a time to reorder, reinstitute your time, your talents, your treasure. Again, do your current priorities and passions reveal an eternal perspective? How about this? Do you do you know anyone in your life who, if they died today, may not go to heaven? Do you know someone like that? And who do you think should share the hope of Christ with them? Who, who would you imagine God might ask to share the hope of Christ with them? Lord, speak to us. Your servants are listening. Now pray this prayer out loud with me for anyone within the sound of my voice today who wants their name written in the Lamb's book of life. They want to take this step of faith to receive the forgiveness and love and acceptance that God offers them through Jesus Christ. That's your desire. That's your need. You want to take that step today. You want to know that your sins are forgiven and you have peace with God. I can help you with that right now. God always hears this prayer. He never turns a deaf ear to this prayer. He always hears this prayer as you pray it from your heart. You really mean it. So pray right out loud after me. You ready? Everyone together out loud. You ready? Dear gracious God, I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. I've fallen short of your best ideal for my life. And I believe that Jesus Christ gave his life for me, that He shed his blood on the cross to wash away my sins Lord Jesus forgive me of my sins cleanse my heart my life my body my mind I give my life to you come into my heart I want to know you as my Savior and live for you the rest of my life Holy Spirit fill me with your presence your peace your power I need your strength in my life and help me from this day forward to serve you. Thank you for all you've done for me. Now you have my life. I freely give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Hey, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. And that's where we're going. Amen. Would you stand with us?